0: Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 Community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. There are a lot of incredibly beautiful and joyous things in this world. Middle school orchestra performances are not one of those things. Um, I don't know if you've ever had the the opportunity to go to one of those performances, but they are rough. (laughs) Um, and it's and it's different for each grade. In sixth grade, I mean, it it really sounds like they're just torturing cats and dogs and amplifying it. There's no discernible melody. You have no idea what song it is. The kids are are trying their best. And look, I'm not. I want to be clear. I'm not blaming the kids or the parents or the guardians or the teachers. They're new to this. But it's it's awful. Like it's horrible. Like you want to close your ears and go, please make this stop. But then they get to seventh grade, and in seventh grade. Some of the kids who really didn't want to do band, you know, they're not in it anymore, and the kids have had an opportunity to work with the instrument, and the teachers had more time to work with them, and they perform, and it's still rough, don't get me wrong. I mean, there are notes going all over the place, but you could tell that they're playing a song. Like, there's, there's a tune, there's a melody, there's all the different components, and they're working together. And then you get to eighth grade, and eighth grade is completely different than sixth grade. In eighth grade, have, they've had two and a half years of working with their instrument. Their teacher's been working with them. They've been practicing at home in theory. You know, they've done all of these things, and they're playing a piece of music, and you go, man, these kids are, are really good. And then what inevitably happens is that one of the kids will screw up. They'll hit the wrong note. They'll fall flat. And you'll know it right away, not just because of the sound, but because you see the kid react, right? They're playing, and all of a sudden, they hit that wrong note, and if it's the violinist, they go, huh? And they just freeze while everyone keeps playing. Or if it's the trombonist or the one playing the tuba, like their mouth is moving, but it's not even on the mouthpiece anymore. And they're just like... Because they don't know what to do. And then you watch them with their embarrassment and their shame just start to shrink inside of themselves and they just stop playing. Now, my daughter, she's getting ready to go to high school, which is, I have not wrapped my head around that yet. Um, and we had the opportunity to go to several middle school orchestra performances, um, and walking with my daughter, my wife and I, through her middle school years, you know, middle school is awkward for everyone. It's just gross and weird and painful. But I look back at that time because it's impossible to not, like, relive middle school when you're watching your kid go through middle school, and I go, man, I think that's where I learned to really start hiding when I'm embarrassed. Like, I think it was middle school. Like, when I would make a mistake. When I would fall flat, like, that's when I was like, oh, gosh, the the shame and, like, embarrassment is so much that I was like, I don't want to feel that. And so I learned, which I'm guessing most of you have learned as well, how to continue to hide. And really, by the time we become adults, we have become very proficient. We have become masters at hiding who we really are. Because we've had years of practice of every time we've made a mistake, of every time we've fallen flat, to figure out a way to hide it so that no one can see it. Today we're continuing our message series called Rhythms, and we've been looking at uh, some biblical spiritual rhythms that we, we really believe as a church are just wonderful things for us to lean into together. Not just a one-off thing, like, these are things that we want to cultivate in our lives on a regular basis. Today, we're going to talk about confession. Somehow, I pulled that straw. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) When you hear the word confession, you you might go to a couple different places, you know, confession. You might think of confession of faith when you became a Christian, when you got baptized. You might think of law and order. I wish I could get the, like, the dun-dun sound. Um, you know, when the, when the investigators are interrogating the perp, and then finally he confesses to all the things that he's done. You might think of Anzar, really, this is probably what you think of, regardless if you come from an Anglican or Catholic background, you might think of going into that little black box, sitting down, and saying, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. That word, confession, makes us Uncomfortable. It kicks some stuff up. Because when we hear the word confession, our brains go to, oh no, what do they know? What did what did they find out? And in the Bible, we see confession really throughout almost every book of the Bible. And there's different types of confession that we see. We see the confession of faith. We see the confession of the reality of who God is and the reality of who Jesus is. We see the confession of struggle. Um, We see the confession of sacrifice. But today we're going to talk about the confession of sin. Ooh. So what I thought we would do is basically do an open mic night. I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no one is ready for that. No, we're not going to do that. Listen, listen, this is what I want you to know up front, okay? I understand that there are some people at home right now watching going, you know what, maybe we should go to brunch early. Um, there are some that might be going, I think I need to go to the bathroom and then to my car. Look... What you need to know up front is this. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we read, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are not a gathering of saints. We are a gathering of sinners. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. The people watching at home now and in the future our sinners. We're all in this together. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. This is a level playing ground, level playing field. So I understand that that word confession can can kick some stuff up and make us feel uncomfortable, but I just, I want to ask you to sit in this with me for the next 25 minutes or so, okay? Now, before we get to the confession of sin part, I think we need to understand sin a little bit better. Just get some, get, get our hands around it, if you will, um, in the Bible, we see sin referred to and described as a couple different things. We see sin described as the breaking of god 's laws and commands. We see sin um, described as rebellion against God, and both of those things are true. We have commands and laws that we see God give us that, that we want to butt up against all the time, especially in our current culture because we don 't like people telling us what is good and what 's bad or what 's true and what 's false we don 't like that, so we push up against it and we forget that those rules or or laws that we see are really guardrails. They're meant to protect us. They're meant to allow us to live flourishing lives. But beyond all of that, what we see in Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation is that at its core what sin is, is us elevating ourselves above God and saying that we know better. It's us elevating ourselves above God and saying, I'm going to get my validation and my identity apart from you. When we can understand that, it moves the conversation away from a simple list of do's and don'ts. Because it helps us all understand that there's not one person breathing who doesn't do that. Who doesn't think that they know better than God. We're all guilty of that. We're all guilty of trying to find our validation and our identity apart from who he is. So when I talk about sin, yes, there's the the rules and the guidelines and the guardrails that are in place. But I'm really talking about those moments in our life when we have set ourselves up above God and said, I know better than you. And it's a place that I think a lot of us live. If you don't remember anything this morning, I do hope that you will remember this one thing. Honest confession leads to honest change. Honest confession, sincere confession leads to honest change. In the amount of conversations that I've had with people every week, I know how many people are crying for their life to change. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, I want to ask you to open up to Psalm chapter 32. Psalm is about halfway through the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible. (coughs) Excuse me. And this particular Psalm, chapter 32, is written by King David, who we're going to get to in a second. Starting in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, real quick. In the Hebrew, that word blessed is actually a plural word, so there's not really a good way to translate that into English because it would sound like blessednessness, which I'm pretty sure is not a word in English. When you look at the Hebrew in the correct context of that, that word blessed really means fulfilled. We read that word blessed today and we think like, you know, hashtag blessed, everything in my life is going great, there's no problems, everything is good, I have everything I want, I have everything I need, that is not what this is talking about. That idea of fulfilled. Fulfilled is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Fulfilled meaning your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. You are okay. You are taken care of. Fulfilled is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Fulfilled is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. He's not counting our sin against us. And in whose spirit there is no deceit, which is where I want to pause. That line... And in whose spirit there is no deceit is one that odds are will fall on deaf ears. Because we have an unspoken agreement between ourselves. I am going to allow you to see the version of me that I want you to see. And you're going to allow me to see the version of you that you want me to see. And we both know that we're doing it. And so we go about our lives... Essentially lying to one another. Because we're afraid. We're afraid that if someone knows who we really are, the mistakes that we've made, how we've fallen flat, then they're not going to love us. They're not going to want to be around us. They're not going to want anything to do with us. And we extend that to God as well. What David is saying is when we lay ourselves bare, when we lay our souls bare before God, something changes Within us, when we stop hiding, and we all do it, I mean, think about it. How many times? You, easy example. I'll use myself. Three weeks ago, a bunch of stuff was going on in my life externally. That was just a lot. had nothing necessarily to do with me in particular. It was just a lot going on, and I didn't know how to process it. And it's really easy in those moments, right? You're walking by, hey, Topher, how you doing? I'm great. Keep on walking. And inside I'm going, I'm terrible. I want to burst into tears. I want to crawl into a hole. I want to sit in the dark and I want to hold my knees and rock myself back and forth until it feels better. Don't we do that? On a regular basis, our lives can be falling apart whether it's because of our own decisions or because of things that have happened to us. And instead of being honest, we go, I really, I need you to see me the way that I want you to see me because that's the agreement that we've made. Our habit is not one of truth and transparency and sincerity. Our habit is one of self-protection. Our habit is to guard our hearts so much That we're unwilling to admit when we're wrong or when we've sinned. Now, David gets this very well. And this may be your very first time in church, and I guarantee you've heard of David before, because this is the same David, little shepherd boy. He's got his stones and his slingshot, and he swings that sucker and flings the stone and it kills Goliath. This is the same David. David grows up, he becomes the king of Israel. He becomes known as a man after God's own heart. And he is writing these words because he has made bad decision after bad decision and has fallen flat so spectacularly that he doesn't have an option anymore but to come clean. He sees a woman. He thinks, I want her. So he gets her and he gets her pregnant. To try and cover it up, he sends her husband off to the front lines of war ensuring that he would die, which he does. One sin after another, after another, after another, because that's the way it goes, right? We sin, we make a mistake, we don't want someone to know, we want to hide it, so then what do we do? We continue to hide it, and it just snowballs into something so big and so grotesque, we don't even know what is real anymore. David understands this, David gets it. The reason David is known as a man after God's own heart is not because he was perfect, is not because he was a saint, is not because he didn't make mistakes. It's that he had the courage to lay his soul bare before God and say, God, I confess. I confess. Because it wreaks havoc on our souls. It wreaks havoc in our lives when we don't. Continuing on, verse 3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David got it. And you probably resonate with what David is saying because you get it. I would actually go as far as to say, you're there right now. I'm there right now. There's not a person in this room. There's not a person watching at home. There's not a person who will watch that isn't hiding something right now. And we all know what it feels like. When our bones are aching and we're so tired because we have had a lifetime of going, I can't let someone know. I can't let God know. And we just hide and hide and hide and hide and hide. And then pretty soon, all these things we've been hiding become the very prison that we are living in. And we think that's our only existence. And we so desperately want to be free and we so desperately want to move forward, but we don't know how. Honest, sincere confession brings honest change. Now, There there are two ways, typically, that we confess our sins. The first that we really see in Scripture um, is when we grieve our sin, where we know we've done something wrong. We first and foremost know that we've sinned against God, that we've sinned against ourselves, that we've sinned against someone else or our community or our family, and we feel it. When we grieve our sins, we feel it and we own it. And when we grieve our sin, it leads to a place of repentance, And that word repentance means turning away from. So when you grieve it, when you own it, and you feel that, and it leads to that repentance, we're able to move away from that sin and towards God. Not being shackled by shame and guilt or all the things that we're trying to hide, but being able to be free, to grow and to grow closer to God. That doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. It doesn't mean you might not make the same mistake in the future. But when we grieve our sin and we own that sin, it leads to a place of repentance. The other way that we confess our sins that we see in Scripture that I think a lot of us will relate to is that we pity our sin. And I think um, we pity our sin because we either don't know or we have forgotten the very foundational truth of who Christ is. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to die for you and for me. We don't deserve it. The thing that's so amazing about grace is that we don't deserve it and yet it's still freely given. And we forget that. We forget that Christ died on a cross. And rose again to conquer death so that we can have the promise of eternity. So that we could live fulfilled lives here on this earth in this moment. And so we feel pity about our sin. And what happens when we feel pity about our sin is that we try and show off how sad and how bad we feel. You've fallen. You've fallen flat. You've made a mistake. You've sinned. And you might say things like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I know this is wrong. I don't know what to do. Uh, you know what? Let me make it up to you, right? Isn't that what we say? Let me make it up to you. Um, you know what? If it's God, I, I'm going to tithe this month. I know I don't tithe normally, but I'm going to tithe this month. And you know what? I'm going to help out at Children's Church because that'll teach me. Like, that'll teach me a lesson, right? And I'm going I'm I'm to help with the homeless ministry um, and I'll give some people rides and, and that, that, that'll, that'll make it okay. That's what we do. We bargain. First of all, God already knows our sin, okay? <laughs> he knows what we've done wrong. We've no, he knows how we've fallen flat. When we grieve our sin, what we're doing and we're in that kind of confession, we're not saying something to God that God doesn't already know. We, what we're doing is we are coming into alignment with God and saying, God, I see what you see. Forgive me. But when we pity our sin... We just go through cycles. You might say you're sorry. You'll try and earn whatever favor back that you think you're earning. And then you're good. Maybe two, three weeks. And then a month later, you're just doing the same thing again. And again. Never moving forward. The other way in which we pity our sin is even more destructive. It's when we blame others for our sin. And I want to be real careful and clear about this. Because... The reality is many of us that are hearing this message have experienced deep wounds and deep trauma because of other people's sin. And that is stuff that we are working through, that we will continue to work through with counselors and with the grace of God and with community and all of that stuff. That is a different message for a different day. So I don't want anyone to hear me say that that isn't a thing, because it is. What I am saying, when we pity our sin, if we're not trying to prove our guilt and earn our love back, we'll just try and cast blame onto someone else. We'll say things like, oh gosh, my boss was a jerk today and then I was driving home and a girl, she was wearing yoga pants and she was jogging so of course I went home and looked at porn. What? Yeah, I cheated on my husband. Um, you, don't, you don't understand though, like our, our relationship's been in a bad spot and it's been, it's been frustrating and we haven't been on the same page and then this this guy from work—he showed me attention, and then he just showed up at my door. What was I supposed to do? I don't know. Shut the door? Yep. I took money. I took money out of the cash register. I know it's wrong, but just money's so tight. I'm living paycheck to paycheck, and the system is against me. And I just—I didn't know what else to do. Yeah, I, I get it. I've been there. But didn't you just buy a nine hundred dollar phone? This is, this is what we do. Instead of owning our sin, instead of grieving our sin, we'll try and earn back our affection or we'll try and blame everyone else as to why we feel that weight on our bones. And we've become so good, right, at distracting ourselves. Think about it. Like, so good throughout the day. We've got work, we've got family, we've got friends, we've got a meal plan, we've got to go to the gym, we've got Netflix and Disney Plus and HBO Max and Paramount Plus and all these different streaming services, we've got books, we've got so many things. And then what happens when we get quiet? We don't want to be quiet. What happens at night when you get in bed and you pull those covers up to your neck and you're ready to go to sleep and all of the things that you have kept at bay all day with distraction come flooding back in? We talk a lot at this church about loneliness, about the epidemic of loneliness, and we could point to social media and politics and disagreement and all these different things, but sometimes I wonder if the reason we're so lonely is because no one knows who we really are. We've never given people the opportunity to see who we really are. Honest, sincere confession leads to honest change, but confession does a few more things for us. Number one, confession forces us to stop hiding and allows people to really see us. When you have that kind of confession, not just a, Like, yeah, I did it, but a grieving confession. It shines a flashlight into all those dark spaces. It opens up the cell door in the place that you have been living in for so long. Confession forces us to stop hiding, and finally, it allows people to see who we really are. We drop the facades. We drop the, yeah, everything's okay We drop the, I don't make mistakes. Or we drop the, well, I made a mistake, but it's really their fault. Confession is a a powerful thing. Confession also restores our relationship with God. And I want to be super clear about this. God's love for you, God's grace for you does not change. It is unchanging. If you have surrendered your life to Christ, his love for you is innumerable. It goes on forever and ever and ever. But just like in any relationship, and you know this, When you've done something, it causes a break. He's not going anywhere, but we do because we feel bad. And so we take a step away, and then we do something else, and we take another step away, and we do something else, and we take another step away, and we do another thing, and we just keep moving further and further away from God, and we go, I don't understand why God isn't by me anymore. He's still there. He hasn't moved. He is still yearning for you and running after you. You just keep running away. When we grieve our sin, and it leads to that place of turning from that sin to God, it restores that relationships, and we get to finally hide in the one place that we were designed to hide, in the goodness of God. And then finally, confession moves us forward. You could stay here forever forever. And pity your sin and pity yourself and find all the reasons why you made a mistake and claim all the reasons why you've fallen flat and figure out all the different things that have happened to you in your childhood or happened in the day that caused you to sin. And you're always going to be here. You're always going to be trapped in the same prison, never never moving forward. But when there's that honest confession, when there's that grieving of sin, it might be a baby step, it might be two steps forward and one step back, but it moves us forward. The concept of confession of sin really isn't, isn't a hard one. It's one that we push up against because we don't like it. Um, in, in the practical sense, it becomes a little confusing because we don't, we don't even know what that looks like. So I want to give you at least a place to start, okay? Okay? Number one, get quiet. Get quiet. It could be in the morning, it could be in the evening, it could be in the afternoon. Maybe it's in your shower or your bathtub. Maybe you have a big walking closet you could go sit in. Maybe it's by the river or in a mountain. doesn't matter. Get quiet. And in that silence, open up your heart to God. Begin to listen for his voice. Sit in the uncomfortableness of it and do an honest assessment of the things you're hiding. I know it's uncomfortable. I know you're going to want to fight against it because I want to fight against it. But get quiet. Number two, make a list. Grab a piece of paper, a pen, chalk, crayons, doesn't matter. Do not bring your phone. Do not bring a tablet. Do not bring any electronic device. It's just a distraction. When you get quiet and you're sitting in it and you're sitting there in the uncomfortableness and allowing God to speak to you and listening for his spirit and doing an honest assessment of your soul and your mistakes, begin to make a list. It might only be one thing. It might be 3,000 things. I don't know where you're at right now. <laughs> but make a list. Be honest. Number three, come clean. Again, God already knows. But come clean. What does it look like to come clean? Well, this is where it gets a little tricky. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. We can get okay with confessing our sins to God. It makes us real uncomfortable to confess our sins to one another. But something important happens when we confess our sins to one another. And listen, I want to be clear. This isn't like go in front of a movie theater and go, hey, on Tuesday I cheated on my taxes. On Wednesday I lied to my wife. On Thursday I lost my, temp- my temper at work. That's not what I'm talking about. What this is talking about, what James, who was a disciple of Jesus, is talking about, he's talking to a group of believers and saying, Listen, you find those people that you know and trust. You find those people who love God, who believe in Christ. And you say, I've already confessed to God. I need to confess to you too. Because this is the thing that we see through our scripture we're not meant to do this alone, we're called to carry one another's burdens. And I'll be real honest with you. It's scary, and it may not go the way that you want it to go. I don't want to sugarcoat that. You may you may talk to your spouse or your friend, and you go, listen, I've already confessed to God, but I need to confess to you as well, because I know that the only way I'm going to continue this grieving process to move towards God is to be honest and to be healed and to have someone keep me accountable and love me and pray for me and walk with me through this. So I need to tell you something, and you tell them, and they go... I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to be in this with you. That could happen. I'm not going to lie to you. But in my experience and what I have seen over the last 20 years, is that odds are you'll call your friend, you'll talk to your spouse, and you'll say, I've already confessed to God. I know what I've done is wrong, but I need to confess to you. I need to come clean. And they'll say, I'm in this with you. I don't know what this is going to look like, but I'm here with you. And I will walk this road with you. I will help you navigate all the natural consequences. I will pray for you. I will help keep you accountable. I will speak truth into your life. And I'm so glad that you said something because you know what? Me too. When we come clean, it gives permission for the rest of us to come clean. Get quiet, make a list, come clean, and then finally, do it all again. Again, this message series, Rhythms, is not a one-and-done thing. This isn't, hey, on this Saturday, I'm going to confess, and then maybe in another 10 years, I'm going to really lean into confession. We're not asking you to to once a year study Scripture. We're not asking you once a year to pray or fast. We're saying these rhythms should be things that are a part of our lives on a regular basis that we want to cultivate So get quiet, make a list, come clean, and then do it all over again and keep doing it all over again and you will see how quickly that honest confession, that sincere confession leads to a completely fulfilled and changed life. This is what I want to ask you to do right now. I want to ask you to close your eyes. And we're going to practice this. I'm not going to ask you to come up to the front or in your seat, confess something. I'm going to ask you just to be quiet. Whether you're at home, whether you're in this building right now, that you close your eyes and just be silent before the Lord. Do you sit in the silence? What are the things that your mind is saying, no, don't, don't bring that up? What are the things that you're hiding, that you're holding on to so much that that's what's dictating your life? Listen. Recognize the movement of the Spirit of God opening your eyes. What does that honest assessment look like for you? a lie maybe it's a hidden addiction maybe it's anger pride lust gluttony maybe it's just a refusal to be humble before God what is the thing just one right now that you know you know God is calling you to confess. With your eyes still closed, I want you to picture two or three people who know you and love you. Truly, when you think of who's the person that I would call if something was going wrong, picture those people in your mind right now. Burn them into your brain. When you've confessed your sins to God and you want to start that grieving process, I want to challenge you to reach out to those two or three people as well. It's not going to be easy. Confession never is. But when we allow ourselves the space to be silent, to listen, to be honest, Positions our heart in such a way that we can fully embrace the grace and the love that God so freely gives us. Lord, I'm so thankful. That Area 10 can be a place of imperfect people where we could understand that it's okay to not be okay. Where we could come to terms with the things that we have hidden that we're afraid to show. But God, more importantly, the thing I'm so grateful for your death and resurrection on the cross that so freely gives grace that even though I am sinful that even though we are sinful God that we have the opportunity because of who you are to live a completely different life one that as David said is fulfilled and blessed God, I pray right now that your spirit be in this place, that it be on this place for those listening at home, for those who will be listening in the future. God, I pray that your spirit be mighty and active in breaking the shackles of guilt and shame, that it would be mighty and active in opening up the prison doors, God, that it would be mighty and active in shining the light in the darkest of our hearts and the darkest of places, God, that it would give us courage to sit in the silence and do an honest assessment and make confession a part of our lives. every one of us knows what it feels like to walk around so burdened and so alone because we don't know how to let people in because we think that you won't love us or they won't love us if they knew the mistakes that we've made of how we've fallen flat. God, I pray that that still, small voice would be loud and clear in our hearts and our minds that tells us that you are enough, that we are loved, we are not alone and that we are forgiven in your holy name we pray amen